Good morning, church. Good morning, everybody. You're a church. Uh, my name is Jamie, and I get to preach today. <laughs> so let's pray. <laughs> Amen. Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy and your peace. And we love those and we need those. And we ask, will you help us to hear your truth today? In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. So, you guys, um, this year most of our gospel readings are going to come from Luke's gospel. Are you excited? Do you remember <laughs> last year uh, most of them came from Mark's gospel? Uh, the Fast and Furious one. That's <laughs> my favorite. And uh, Mark's gospel kind of had this thread running through it where Jesus was teaching the disciples about the kingdom of God. He started out his ministry pe preaching, um, what do he say? Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And then he, you know, collected his disciples and they traveled around doing kingdom work. And Jesus, um, you know, had to teach them over and over what it's like to be human in the kingdom of God. This kingdom that turns our earthly ideas of what a kingdom should be upside down. That's, I don't know if you remember, but that's what we learned last year. <laughs> so, like, I don't know, but I bet that uh, there's something like that in Luke's gospel, too, right? Some kind of thread or threads. It's a much larger gospel, and the chapters are longer as well. <laughs> so, um, I bet you there's something like that that's going to keep us tethered uh, to God's kingdom gospel, right? So that we don't read the book and just look at it like it's a bunch of random Jesus stories kind of cobbled together to, you know, teach us uh, random morals. Um, Luke, he writes his gospel with a purpose, too. So this year, I think we're going to look at what that might be. Uh, and if we take into consideration, okay, that Luke wrote this gospel and the book of Acts, right? It's like a two-volume work. Um, and if we look at those two volumes together, okay, and like zoom out, uh, we can see that Luke is going to start with Jesus, right? He's going to start with the story of the Savior and then continue that story with the disciples being filled with the Holy Spirit. And then they go out into the world and spread the gospel, of God's kingdom, and they start the church, which is us. We are the church. Um, what was started, you know, way back then is still going way back now. And I think that's cool. So that's like our big picture of Luke Acts. Luke is going to teach us about Jesus, the Savior, okay? And the disciples are going to learn what discipleship means. And everybody in the Bonhoeffer group is like, oh no. <laughs> but uh, they and we are going to learn what following Jesus means. And, um, and then, uh, you know, in, in the story here, they're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit and go out and they're going to make new disciples, right? And the church begins and continues. Okay. Now today is the second Sunday after Christmas. And our gospel reading is the end of the second chapter of Luke. But for context, we're going to look uh, just for just a minute um, at the beginning. Okay, so Luke 1, 1. 
Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. And then Luke starts his narrative of uh, Jesus' time on earth. So, right away we're told by Luke um, that he's writing this all down for a purpose. And it's for his friend or his disciple, Theophilus, which is a Greek name that means friend of God or lover of God. So some uh, think that it might just be a generic term for like any follower of Jesus. Um, and maybe that's true. I don't know. That could be cool. Um, but he does address this person as most excellent Theophilus. Uh, so it kind of would seem like this person is someone that Luke actually knows because um, I don't know. If you picked up a book and it was like, dear, most excellent Christian, I have written this for you, like, how, how would you take that? I would be like, don't pin that on me. This is not for me. <laughs> so whether he's writing to a particular disciple or to disciples in general, like, it doesn't really matter because the content is the same. He's saying, I'm writing... Uh, I'm writing these true accounts down, um, and they've been passed down from eyewitnesses, the people who were with Jesus at the time, and now you have them, and you can see the truth that you've been taught and the fulfillment of what was promised. And isn't it cool that we just celebrated Advent, right? So, like, we, too, have just seen the fulfillment of what God has promised, the Messiah come to redeem the world. So it's kind of like Luke is playing historian here, right? He's collected and investigated these accounts. And he wants his student to have these true stories. And then he probably expects that student to go out and make disciples and teach the truth about Jesus too, right? That's how the church works. All right, now we're probably all kind of familiar with the first chapter of Luke because we talked about it during Advent. <laughs> Okay, and so what we're told about this devout Jewish family who are chosen by God to give birth to two amazing sons. And the first is Zechariah and Elizabeth, right? We're told that they are righteous and they keep the law of God blamelessly. And even though Elizabeth is barren, she is chosen by God to give birth to John the Baptist. And then we're told of the angel coming to Mary another person in this devout family who has been favored by God to give birth to Jesus, the Messiah. Ring any bells? So then chapter 2 starts, okay, and that's the birth of Jesus, and we just had Christmas last week, so I'm going to just assume that that's still fresh. <laughs> right? I'm not going to... All right. We're not going to talk about shepherds or anything. Okay, so the middle part of that chapter is also um, 
a story that emphasizes how devoted to God this family is. Um, eight days after Jesus is born, his family has him circumcised. And in chapter, I mean, sorry, in verse 22, we're told that Mary and Joseph further follow the Torah and they take Jesus to Jerusalem to the temple to be consecrated to the Lord. In Exodus 13, the Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and beast, is mine. So the family, they faithfully keep this command, and they bring the baby to the temple a month after his circumcision, and they offer up their sacrifice of two birds. And that brings us to today's reading, uh, where Luke continues to establish the faithfulness of this family. Uh, so let's start at verse 39. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. Now, do you see what Luke is doing there? Like, he pointed out two more times that Jesus' family followed God's law, right? They don't go home before they fulfill all the requirements. And then he tells us that they travel every year to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. Do you suppose they did that when they were refugees in Egypt, too? It says every year. All right, verse 43. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them, and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. I'm going to be honest with you. This story has always confused me um, because it seems to come out of nowhere and also seems to go nowhere. Right? It's like Jesus is born, then he's 12 years old for a second, and then he's 30 starting his ministry. And off we go. 
So I've never really studied this story uh, very thoroughly because it's been such a blip. And I think, you know, after reading it a few times and noticing where it's placed in Luke's narrative, I think it's a story to remind us that Jesus is true God and true man. Yeah. It's a story that reminds us that Jesus is human and divine. He's not superhuman. He's just plain old human like us and divine. He is the Son of God. So let's put a pin in that, okay? We're going to come back to the human thing in a second. Uh, because if we only focus on that, then we're going to kind of um, miss this really cool thing that Luke is doing in the story. Okay, so 12-year-old Jesus is in the temple, sitting with the teachers, listening to them, asking questions. And it says in verse 47, everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. So this is how Luke introduces us to Jesus. I mean, after the baby, right? He, he shows us a 12-year-old in the temple amazing people. And other gospels introduce us to Jesus um, when he's an adult, right? Getting baptized in the Jordan. But Luke has this story. They've just had the Passover. Jesus is in the temple amazing people. Go. That's how he starts it. And that's how he ends it, too. Okay, in chapter 19, Jesus and the disciples will travel to Jerusalem because Jesus knows it's time for him to fulfill the promise that God has made. And when they get there, what time of year is it? It's Passover. And Luke tells us of several times that week that Jesus goes to the temple, his father's house, and he teaches. And this time, instead of amazing the teachers, Luke tells us in 1947, every day he was teaching at the temple, but the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him. Yet they could not find any way to do it because all the people hung on his words. So this time the teachers are not amazed. In fact, they hate him to death. But the people are amazed, and they love his gospel. Chapter 21, 37, Luke tells us more about that week. And he says, each day Jesus was teaching at the temple, and each evening he went out to spend the night on the hill called the Mount of Olives. And all the people came early in the morning to hear him at the temple. So Luke uses the temple, the Father's house, to bookend the life of Jesus. But this time at the end of the Passover comes betrayal and arrest and death. But it's also worth noting that in this story of 12-year-old Jesus, he's missing for three days. And I believe that might sound familiar. But at the end of Luke's gospel, in chapter 24... After three days, it's not Jesus who asks, why were you searching for me? It's two angels who ask the women, why do you look for the living among the dead? So it's kind of cool how Luke sets up his gospel 
Yeah? Am I the only nerd? <laughs> no. Okay. So back to our pin, okay? Back to our human story. All of the Gospels start out telling us that Jesus is the Messiah, and they show us that he is human. Jesus doesn't come into the world as a warrior king ready to battle. He comes as an infant. And then he's an adult getting baptized, and he's not like, hey, I'm the Messiah. Your human baptism is silly for me. No, he humbles himself, and he's baptized. And then he's in the wilderness for 40 days, fasting and being tempted by the devil. These are also very human things, hunger and temptation. I think we have a habit sometimes that as soon as we read about Jesus starting his ministry and he's out healing people and doing miracles, that uh, we forget that he's still human and divine. Right? We tend to kind of push the human thing out of the picture. We need to be careful with that because that kind of thinking means that we're diminishing him, right? We're diminishing his time on earth. We're diminishing his painful suffering death and his sacrifice. So I think we should get in the habit of remembering that Jesus is true God and true man the whole time. Being human and uh, living on the earth is really, it's really hard. And we serve a God who knows that firsthand. And I don't, I don't think we have as much trouble uh, remembering that Jesus is God. So I'm not going to preach too hard on that. So Luke is no different. He shows us this human story of preteen Jesus and his parents having a total misunderstanding. And it's tense. I don't know about you, I read this story, I'm uncomfortable. Imagine traveling for a whole day before you realize that one of your kids is missing. I mean, I'm not even a parent, and uh, my stomach hurts when I think about it, you know? Because he could be anywhere on that route, they don't know. He could be anywhere from point A, a day's journey, all the way back to Jerusalem. Maybe something happened to him on the road, right? Travel was dangerous. Like, that's why they're in a caravan traveling together, safety in numbers. So there's probably like a hundred scenarios in their heads. So they retrace their steps, right? They have to travel another day's journey back. But eventually they do find him in the temple, right? And it says in verse 48, when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And I have to say, if it were me as the 12-year-old in the story, I'm not sure my parents would have been astonished exactly. Relieved, yes. And then it would be DEFCON 1, right? <laughs> I would have been nuked. I'd still be grounded. But Mary does not nuke Jesus. <laughs> she asks him, son, why have you treated us like this? And that's a pretty close translation. The Greek actually has it that Mary calls him child. It's the word technon. 
And she says, child, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. And the Greek word for anxiously here, I cannot pronounce. <laughs> uh, but it means to torment, to suffer acute pain. So Mary doesn't nuke Jesus, but she does accuse him of something. Why have you done this to us? And Jesus doesn't respond to her accusation. Instead, he asks why. Why were you searching for me? And when I was younger, in Sunday school, I thought, like, did Jesus just sass his mom and get away with it? Now, I don't understand the ending of this story. I don't understand what Jesus says, and neither does his folks, so I don't even feel bad about it. Is Jesus' question an accusation too? Why were you searching for me? I'm your child. Why didn't you know where I was? Why didn't you search for me before you left? It's a good point. He is 12. He's still a child. Mary even calls him child. So is that what his question means? You know, like maybe, hey, I didn't do anything to you. Maybe you, Kevin McAllistered me. <laughs> I'm so glad everyone in here has seen Home Alone. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so I don't know, okay? I don't know what Jesus' questions mean, and I have yet to hear a sermon or read a commentary that ever explained it well. Okay, because the ones I've read, they just tried to assign blame. You know, uh, they try to act like his parents don't understand who their child is, the Messiah. And I just can't believe that that would be the point of the story, not when Luke has filled two chapters with stories of how devout this family is and how well they obey God. When Jesus asks his parents, why were you looking for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Some translations say, didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? And these questions, didn't you know, dot, dot, dot. It sounds like there's an expectation. And maybe that's the point. Maybe in this human and divine story, Luke is reminding his disciple Theophilus that sometimes we have expectations of Jesus. Like he should be following us around. But the truth is, if we are followers of Christ, then he has expectations of us. Oh, you had to search for me. Why? Where were you? Did you not know I had to be in my father's house? Did you not know I had to be doing my father's work? And this, 
is such a kind expectation because he gives us the way back to him right there. The expectation is if you're going to follow me, then follow me. And if you stray from my path and you can't find me, guess what? I'm not hiding from you. I'm at my father's house. Come worship him with me. And guess what? I'm doing my father's work. Come serve him with me. And the expectation becomes an invitation. And I don't know about you, but that sounds like the gospel to me. Those are pretty wise words from a 12-year-old Jesus. And if you think about it, chronologically, those are the first recorded words that Jesus speaks. Why were you looking for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Don't you know I had to be about my father's business? These first words are loaded with gospel expectation and gospel invitation. And it's on us, the followers of Christ, the church, to respond to these words, to follow our Lord, who is human and divine. Amen? All right, let's pray. Holy Spirit, will you please help us with this? Will you change our hearts and show us how to respond? Help us to crave this, to crave the expectation and the invitation and to follow Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name, for his sake and for his glory. Amen.